Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 216, and today's guest is Scott Greenberg, co-founder and CEO of Starstock. Uh, this episode takes me back. It takes me back to my childhood years in Hooksett, New Hampshire, hanging out with my buddies in the neighborhood trading baseball cards. I was a Red Sox fan and would collect baseball cards of Jim Rice, Carl Yastrzemski, Dwight Evans, and lots of other Boston greats. I also collected baseball cards and memorabilia for Steve Garvey, the first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I have a cousin who lives in LA, so that was the connection there. It was a lot of fun, and all my friends thought our treasures would appreciate in value and we would all be set for life. Yet the baseball card industry hit very rough times as the market ended up being flooded with cards that ultimately became worthless. I'm sure my friends who bought complete sets every year were absolutely crushed. Well, what's old is new again, and trading cards are hot. This time, the card issuers are much smarter in their releases by having a scarce supply to drive up demand. It's very similar to what the sneaker industry has experienced. To capitalize on this trend, Starstock has built a marketplace that essentially operates like a stock market for sports cards. Fans and card hobbyists can buy, sell, and invest in their favorite athletes while the sports cards are stored in a centralized vault so there's no actual exchange of the cards. The company recently announced its $8 million Series A round of funding led by Andreessen Horowitz. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like a deep discussion on the sports trading card industry and how it has come full circle, Scott's background story, including his entrepreneurial roots and building a company with his sister, Lynn, a recent Forbes Next 1000 recipient, what led him down the path of starting Starstock and working with Nigel Eccles, a co-founder of FanDuel who helped get the company started along with Starstock co-founder Mike Kuchera, all the details on Starstock and how the business works, the challenges of building a two-sided marketplace, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that the VentureFist job board has over 5,000 jobs listed, which is absolutely amazing, and it just shows the resiliency of the tech industry over the past year. So what does this mean for you? It means great things for your career as there are lots and lots of career-defining opportunities to help you take your career to the next level. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash jobs to start searching. Oh, and if you are not looking for a new opportunity, I bet you know some friends and colleagues who are, so please share our job board with others. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Scott. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because we're going to talk about a pastime that is current again. And I say it's a pastime because it's been around for years and it was a big piece of my childhood growing up. That's being, you know, sports cards and, you know, specifically for me, it was baseball cards. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about the sports card industry. We're not going to talk about your business yet because that's core of what you do with Starstock, but I want to talk about the industry and how it's evolved. So when I was, um, you know, growing up in the eighties, I collected sports cards. Steve Garvey, for some strange reason, was my athlete that I, I tracked and followed. Um, it was kind of interesting. First baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I collected all his cards and I collected lots of other cards from all the you know, Red Sox and everybody. But then, um, you know, my friends, they would collect the whole sets. They'd get the full sets from Topps, Dunruss, and Fleer. And they were like, we're going to keep, you know, every year buy the same three sets over and over again. And these things are going to be worth so much money. It's going to be amazing. And then the market was flooded. Like all of a sudden these sets were just not, had no value. So I actually think my brother-in-law was doing this at the time. And 
I hope he still has those sets because I wonder if they have value. But so what what happened between the 80s of these like flooded baseball card market era to now that, you know, the LeBron James rookie card selling for 1.8 million, the Mike Trout rookie card is selling for 3.9 million. So the resurgence is back. So what what happened? I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, late 80s, 90s, we were in a period that they're now calling the junk wax era. <laughs> Mm-hmm. basically just overproduction. There's so many different um, companies out there that were manufacturing cards. Um, and there was no exclusive rights um, that was handed out with any of the leagues. Um, and so as a result, they all just printed millions, some of them actually over a billion cards. Um, and there's just oversupply. Yeah. And so now, you know, if you fast forward around 20 years or so, um, the market looks a lot different. There's there's more scarcity that's built in, um, and really at, at the core of that um, is you know these exclusive deals that the NBA, the MLB, the NFL have have done with one manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, you know the, the the manufacturer that owns the rights, it's Panini has it for the NBA and NFL. Tops has it for the MLB. They're not looking over their shoulder um, at competitors that are you know printing cards alongside them. And they're able to control scarcity. And, you know, I think that they've they've taken a, a, a play from the playbook of, you know, sneaker and streetwear companies out there and have realized that, you know, if you print 10,000 less cards, you might sell 100,000 more. Um, and so the market just looks a lot different today than it did back then. Interesting. Yeah, it definitely reminds me of uh, the market for sneakers, which I'm, I'm not a sneaker head, but I just see what some sneakers are going for. And when you know new ones are released and limited supply, the crazy demand that goes into buying those is uh, it's pretty amazing. So uh, now is and tops is going either they're going public or they recently went public. I did. I remember reading about that like this week, I think. Yeah. Yesterday it was announced yesterday, yesterday morning. I believe they're going public through a spec. Um, so it seems like every single week there's, there's more news in this hobby. It's really exciting. <laughs> well, is Mickey Mantle still the top card in terms of sale, like 1952 rookie? I think it, I looked it up. It was like a 5.2 million. Is that still the, the highest or is something eclipsed that since then? Yeah, I believe that's the highest. There's been a number of cards above that million dollar range. There's been a couple of LeBrons that have sold for over a million and a couple of Jordans and, and, and Mantles. Those are, those are probably the three players that are that are going for the most amount of money right now, and then and then um, you know a, a, a few Bradys have have crossed that million dollar line as well. I think there was a Brady that sold for over two million dollars last week. Wow. Okay. Well, the goat deserves it. All right. Well, let's talk about your background. So uh, rewind the clock. So where did you grow up, and you know what were you like as a child? Like were you always entrepreneurial? Like like what, tell us about you know your foundational years. So I grew up in Mamaroneck. It's actually the same town that, that Starstock's based out of right now. Grew up here, born and raised, uh, was really into cards uh, from a very young age. My, my father was, was a collector, um, and I had older cousins that were also collecting cards as well. And so I spent you know, weekends going to, to card shows often. And when I got to elementary school, there was a local card shop that did an after-school program. And I Every Tuesday from kindergarten through fifth grade, I'd uh, do a one hour, uh, you know, card, uh, you know, card club at, at the end of the day. Um, and so it was a, always a big passion of mine. Um, 
you know, along with playing sports as well. It was really, for me, it was just all about sports, playing sports, watching sports, collecting cards. Um, I, I was just a fanatic growing up. I got to middle school um, and, you know, I, I, I moved the cards up to, to the attic. Um, I think like a lot of other people uh, around my age, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> right. um, and then uh, it was about three years ago now, I got back into the hobby and I was just really, you know, what got me in was just, I was just, I couldn't believe how much the, the market changed. And I was very intrigued by, um, you know, the, the growing trend of trading rookie cards, like their athlete stocks. Um, and I saw it as a, a way for me to make money on, on my sports knowledge. And so at the time I was, I was doing sports betting and I was playing fantasy sports and I just saw this as like another extension of that. Um, quickly saw that, you know, it was a lot of fun, but there was just tons of friction out there um, on, on the marketplaces that I was using specifically eBay. Um, and I was spending hours and hours, you know, printing shipping labels and going to the post office and doing things that I didn't want to do. Yeah. You know, the research of which players to buy and, and the transacting that part was fun to me. But it was all the, you know, the the back office work that went into, you know, shipping these cards out and receiving them and putting them into spreadsheets that I hated. And so yeah. that's how we that's how we, you know, kind of came up with the the concept for Starstock. Now, Starstock isn't your first company though. So you you studied finance and entrepreneurship at at Syracuse. So, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit was always, you know, part of you and in, 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 you know, even in your studies. So why'd you decide to pursue that at Syracuse? And then and what was your you know first company that you built? Yeah, well, I always knew I wanted to get into business. Um, you know, my, there's a family business, uh, you know, that, that my dad's in, uh, with, you know, that he uh, got took down for my for my grandfather. Um, and, you know, a bunch of my uncles and cousins had their own business. I always knew it was something I wanted to do. I didn't know when exactly when, but I knew I wanted to go to business school. Um, and Syracuse is a great business school, Whitman. Um, and so, I, yeah, I was a finance and entrepreneurship major there. My senior year, uh, you know, launched a company called Pivot with my sister. She was actually just getting back from London, where she had moved and, and worked for Bloomberg for about two years. Um, she had an amazing experience there, but had a really tough time acclimating. And so we set out to build like a community app for people to get advice um, on their new city from other people that have gone through the same exact move. Um, and so, yeah, we launched Pivot. That was 20... Uh, you know, late 2016, um, early 2017. Uh, and I, I worked at pivot till about 2019. So two years after college. Got it. Okay. And yeah, in Syracuse, I was looking at some of the alum, obviously it's well known for, you know, media and, uh, so many great alum that have graduated from the school and in entrepreneurship, like that's a big piece of, of, of the school too. Now, like Dennis Crowley's an alum, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we're known for our basketball program and our basketball announcers, <laughs> but there's uh, it's a great school um, and they have a really great business school and, and one of the top entrepreneurship programs in the country as well. So, so starting Pivot with your sister, so, so what did you learn? What were the takeaways from that first, you know, building a company, you know, the biggest takeaways, lessons learned type of stuff? Oh my gosh, so many, um, so many. I think, you know, the, the, one of the first things that I noticed was how hard it was to find product market fit. And, you know, one of the takeaways was, you know, uh, 
how important it is to start off really focused. When we first built out the first version of the platform, um, we, you know, we, we were building a platform for expats and relocated employees. We also thought it'd be interesting for travelers as well, um, specifically business travelers. And so we tried to create a platform for all three. And as a result, we built something that no, not one of the, those three markets wanted. And it wasn't until we actually really focused on one specific area, which was the expat, um, that we were able to get a little bit of traction. And so I, I'd say the biggest, that was really the biggest takeaway and, and definitely affected, um, you know, how I thought about those first six to nine months when we were starting Starstock and um, affected a lot of the things that we did from, you know, doing, uh, you know, beta products to make sure that we were, you know, addressing the right issues. Um, and speaking to customers prior and, 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 you know, all the due diligence that went into, um, you know, the, the product prior to even launching it. And, and Pivot's still around today. I noticed your sister was, uh, you know, she was a recipient of Forbes Next 1000 list. Yeah. So I, I left in 2019. The, the company was, uh, for lack of a better word, pivoting uh, to a, a B2B business. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been interested in consumer and my biggest interest has always been sports. And so, um, you know, I left to, to pursue, you know, star stock and, and to pursue thing in the sports, things in the sports field. Um, but they've, you know, they've uh, been doing very well recently and, and they have a great team over there. Great. All right. So getting back to star stock. So you talked a little bit about the foundational kind of how you got back involved into trading cards and the interest and some of the challenges of, um, you know, the, the back office type of administrative stuff of, of doing things on eBay. So um, how did you originally get started? Because, um, you know, Nigel Eccles, he was, uh, he was a previous podcast guest. You know, he's one of the founders of, of FanDuel and he's done other startups since, but it seems like he was a, a key piece of, of kind of helping get this off the ground as well. Oh, very, very much so. Um, yeah. So, you know, him and I have been friends for around four, four or so years now. Um, and so he, he also actually lives in the Maranek. And so we frequently get lunch or, or coffee and, and kind of just hang out and talk about business and sports, other stuff. Um, and our, our third partner, Mike, um, worked with Nigel at FanDuel, worked with Nigel at Flick as well. Um, Mike is a, just a huge, huge sports card collector. Mm-hmm. Actually had a pretty similar story to myself where, he, you know, was a really, really big collector, specifically in the eighties and the nineties, um, you know, put it down for a few years and then he got back into it around a similar time. I did a little bit before, um, and just experienced a lot of the same issues. Um, you know, just really, you know, tough to buy cards at scale, hated dealing with the shipping. Uh, he has a family and a wife and, and, you know, you know, a common thing you'll hear in the hobby is anyone with a girlfriend or a wife, they have a really hard time explaining why, you know, 15 or 20 packages are showing up at the house every day. Um, <laughs> and so, that, you know, he, uh, he, you know, was working with Nigel at Flick at the time. And so Nigel was hearing about sports cards from he, from me, he was hearing about sports cards from Mike as well. And so my, my, my lunches with Nigel turned into lunches with Nigel and Mike. And then it was like, just a couple weeks later, we, we launched Starstock. Got it. So, so, Bring us to the current stage of the business. Like, like, how does it work? Cause there's, it is a better experience, but like, how does it all work? 
Yeah. Um, so what we allow people to do that wasn't really, uh, you know, available prior was we allow people to buy sports cards at scale and instantaneously. And so, um, you know, basically on, on, on eBay, when, when I was uh, getting back into the space, I was buying, you know, a hundred cards of a specific player that I was really bullish on. And I was doing it in a hundred individual transactions. And then I'd have a hundred, you know, uh, cards showing up at my doorstep, you know, a week or two later. Um, and so what we allow people to do is to buy a hundred cards of a specific player at scale, just in one transaction. And we allow people to do that without needing to ship the cards back and forth to each other, um, which enables people to instantly trade their ownership, just like it were a stock. Um, so a good model to, to compare us to is, is like that of gold or oil, where there's billions of dollars, you know, traded every single day, but people aren't exact, uh, aren't exchanging possession. Right. But, but so if I was uh, looking to, uh, put my cards on the market, I would send them to you. Right. And then you do like the quality inspection and they're actually in a vault in New Hampshire where they're, they're placed. Exactly. So you, you'd send a package to us. Um, you can send us one card, you can send us 20,000 cards at a time. Um, we see both. We process those cards. We take digital images and then we upload a digital representation of that physical card into your collection. And so what we just did basically is we turned your physical collection into a card collection that you can now access at your fingertips on your phone or on your computer. Um, and then you can list any one of those cards for sale on Starstock um, whenever you'd like. When someone goes in and buys that card, the ownership instantly transfers over to that new user um, and the card remains in the vault. And so uh, there's, there's no work on your hand um, after that sale. And like, do you, like, are there certain restrictions, meaning, um, hey, it's got to be a certain quality, you know, mint or a notch below that, or are there certain athletes that, you know, just wouldn't make sense to have on this market, you know, so like, how do you just, someone could just send you all their cards and be like, here you go. And then you're like, this is all junk. <laughs> so how do you, how do you handle all that? Yeah. So we're, we're pretty exclusive with what we take on our site. So. Right. First rule is rookie cards only. Goal is to really create like a commoditized platform where you can feel like you're buying into the player um, and not just buying into the card. And so by taking only the rookie card, we're basically taking the, the most valuable ver version of a card for each player. Um, the, the rookie card carries the most weight. Um, and then within there, we're, we only accept about four or five different sets for each sport as well. So, you know, for basketball, the company that has the basketball right panini they might produce 20 to 30 sets every year at the end of the day they make money by printing cardboard so they're going to want to come out with new sets all the time we only take the four or five sets that are the most popular and that have the most store value um, the goal there is just to make it a lot easier when you search for zion williamson or lebron james to maybe only see four or five card options instead of you know you know dozens um and so those are that's kind of the general rule of thumb when when shipping cards into star stock it's rookie cards only um and and for the specific sets that we have and then how does how does star stock make money is it based on transactions correct we take a five percent seller fee and what's the current scale like how many cards are on 
Starstock now? So I think we are at about, we're a little bit over 900,000. We should be at a million cards sometime next week. We're, we're adding about 50 to 60,000 cards every single week. Wow. And what's the most valuable card on the platform now? That's a good question. Um, it's, you know, I'd, I'd have to pull up the site because we just have so many that are kind of coming in and, and beating the previous record. But we, we have a few Brady cards that are, you know, worth probably over $20,000. And we have one Zion that's worth, you know, uh, probably a little bit over $20,000 as well. And like, from what I've gathered, just, you know, seeing what's happening in the industry is that, you know, certain industries were disrupted or just became, you know, just relevant again due to uncertain, you know, crazy circumstances called a pandemic. So like, how has the pandemic accelerated this, this industry? Like it's been crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, the, I think the sports card market was primed to have a really big comeback like it did, but the pandemic certainly accelerated things. Uh, you know, I think a lot of sports fans were just, especially in the beginning of the pandemic when there were no sports games on, we were just looking for other ways to entertain ourselves. Um, and so for some people that was through card breaks or that was through just like trading cards with, or buying cards with their friends, um, and so I, you know, I also think a lot of people just had extra time to go through their old cards, whether it's in the attic or the basement, um, or they were going back to their parents' house or whatever it was. And so, um, you know, for one reason or another, the past six to 12 months has just been really crazy in the sports card world. Yeah. And that's demonstrated by your fundraising activity. So you raised your seed round and then just four months later, and, you know, this is recent events, you, you know, you closed your series a round of $8 million. So obviously there was a lot of interest from the uh, investment community too. Yes. Um, that's another thing that was, you know, if you fast forward to the, you know, the conversations we were having prior to launching our company, they were a lot different than, than what they looked like more recently. Um, you know, you know, when we were when we were pitching Starstock to start off, no one really knew much about sports cards. Whereas, you know, now and uh, you know, late 2020, early 2021, sports cards was basically what everybody was talking about. So, um, you know, definitely saw a major shift there. So, with the you know Series A round, you know, completed, what are the plans ahead? Yeah. So, I mean, we need to scale up the team, uh, you know, from November to January in those, you know, two or three months, we, we saw an increase of, uh, about five X, the amount of cards that were being sent in. Um, and we saw a lot, you know, a huge increase on, on our site activity as well, signups, deposits, uh, sales. And so, you know, we need to scale our team up. Uh, we need to hire more card processors so we can get our cards onto the site faster. Um, and then we're going to continue to build out the product. You know, we, we feel like we're just kind of scratching the surface on, on things that we can do, you know, whether it's adding more data or stats or, or collection mechanics. Um, we, we have a lot of exciting things in the pipeline that we're working on. And one of the tricky things of building out a, a two-sided marketplace is, uh, you know, the supply and demand side. So uh, usually people start off with the supply side. You, you need to have cards, otherwise people won't have anything to buy. 
But how do you go about getting the, the demand side? So, uh, you know, the customer acquisition strategies of people knowing that Starstock is like the place to go to uh, purchase premium rookie cards. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, we we definitely fall under the category of a site that kind of focused a little bit more on supply to start. You know, we 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 felt like we had a like a, a no-brainer seller experience where on Starstock you're doing a lot less work and we're a lot less expensive than the other guys out there. Um, and so we we saw pretty pretty quickly after launch that we started getting a lot of cards sent in. Mm-hmm. Once we started building up more cards. Uh, we started getting more eyeballs on the site because the eyeballs will follow the supply. Um, and so we've seen some, you know, we've definitely seen, uh, you know, our supply increase the the buyer demand. Another thing that we've seen as well is that in this space, the buyer or the sellers are also buyers. And so the people that were, were if we were able to acquire sellers that were selling on our site, we are seeing that they were, they were also, um, you know, in return buying cards on our site too. Uh, and so to some extent you're, you know, you're, you're playing a game where you're, you know, adding on the supply side then catching up on the demand side and then adding more on the supply, catching up the, on the demand. Um, but we were lucky in the fact that most people in this hobby, if they're sellers, they're, they're also buyers too. That's a really good point that I didn't even think about. Like that's, that's such a luxury because the, the, they're working both sides of the equation for you. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Still, I mean, still a, a, a lot of work to do. Um, we've, uh, we've had, you know, a lot of success and especially in specific areas with, with, you know, basketball, um, and the more modern market from, you know, 2017 to 2020, uh, that's where we're most liquid and we've seen the most success. Um, and we still have a lot of work to do in building more liquidity in those prior years. So some of the older players in the league now, like LeBron and Harden and Durant and those guys. Like I'm sure you're focused right now on building, you know, the best platform of what we've just talked about, you know, premium uh, rookie cards across sports. But there's obviously a lot of buzz in other categories like NFTs and digital art. Um, you know, if I'm pronouncing it right, like Beeple, right, sold for 69 million a piece of digital art. So when you hear things like that, you're just like, wow there's just so many new opportunities to build great marketplaces. So do you think there's, you know, a future for you in, in one of those other avenues? Maybe. I mean, like we're, we're really focused on building you know, the best athlete stock market that we can build. So we'll do whatever we need to do to, to get there. But at the same time, we're, we're very focused over here. We love the market we're in. Um, and I love our model that basically combines the best parts of having a digital asset with the best parts of having a physical asset. And so I think that we're pretty unique in that way. Um, and so we are, you know, we're, we, we like having a physical product, let's just say that. Um, and, and we still have a lot more work to do here um, in with sports cards. So what do you think is the hardest part of running a marketplace outside of the question that we talked about that supply and demand side of the equation, but like, what's the hardest part of running a marketplace? I mean, that, that's definitely, I definitely say kind of building out liquidity and, and building out demand is, is, is the most difficult part. Um, you know, we've, uh, you know, we've picked areas that we've wanted to focus on first. And so, you know, the, another thing as well is like, we don't have vintage cards. Um, so we've been very focused with what we want to accept with the goal of just building liquidity in, in a specific area and then expanding out from there. So I'd say, you know, 
I'd say building that liquidity is, is definitely the hardest part. And, and the second part that's been tough for us, but we've been, we've stayed true to it is just staying very focused. Like you said, there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on out there in the space, you know, whether it's in the NFT world or even in the physical sports card world, there's cards selling for millions of dollars, um, you know, almost every month now. Um, and so just staying focused and, uh, you know, uh, working to kind of uh, slowly work your way up in liquidity is, has been a challenge for us, but uh, one that's certainly paid off. Now you mentioned that you're you know building out the team. So what, what lessons have you learned along the way, whether it was the previous company or the current of, uh, you know, hiring that initial team to, to, you know, take you down that journey? It's the most important, you know, part of my job for sure. Um, at the end of the day, the thing that's going to define success here at Starstock are going to be the people that are working here. And so, you know, that's something I learned at Pivot and something that I've certainly learned here at Starstock in, in our first, you know, year or so is that, you know, that's the, the, the way that I can help this company the most is by bringing in the most talented people to work here. Yeah. All right. So what are three apps you can't live without? Uh, three apps that I can't live without. Um, I'd say Twitter, I'd say, uh, ESPN and I'd say Starstock, although we don't have an app, but we, uh, I, I do have it saved on my, on my, uh, home screen on my phone. Yeah. I would think you, you, you must check that a thousand times a day. <laughs> Pretty frequently. <laughs> How about any uh, great book or podcast recommendations? Obviously, Venture Fizz not being one of them. <laughs> um, I'll give uh, I'll give a few sports card podcast recommendations for those that um, you know want to learn more about the space. One of my favorite are these guys, uh, Luca Tiger Lebron. Um, happen to be a few of my my favorite athletes, but uh, that's the name of their podcast. They they do an incredible job and they're super insightful. And they have great data um, and they're fun to listen to. They have great personalities. So I'd say that that's one of my, uh, my favorite podcasts to listen to. And outside of work, what do you like to do when you're not building star stock or, you know, you know, doing what you love of, you know, collecting cards. I love to play basketball and I love to golf. Um, unfortunately I haven't played basketball in about a year, but I have been playing a good amount of golf. And so those are kind of my two, the two activities that I enjoy most when I, when I'm outside the office. Yeah. Golf saw a crazy level of growth over the past year. Another, you know, industry or sport that saw, you know, benefits of, uh, of the crazy world we were living in. Right. Yeah. The, the perfect social distancing sport. Yep, exactly. So great. Well, Scott, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and experience building companies. And of course, uh, the cool stuff you're doing at Starstock. No, thank you so much for having me on. This was, this was a blast. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.